0: Welcome to Navigating Life, a podcast by Lighthouse Baptist Church. This week, we're in part two of our series, Airplane Mode, and Pastor Caleb is talking to us about Jesus and and why it is necessary to seek solitude with the Lord in order for us to do good works. Let's see what we can listen and learn. what's going on with our TV right now, but we're not going to worry about it. You know what? It'll just be a distraction. We're going to push it out of the way. It's not the most important thing up here anyway, is it? As you may have noticed, I am not Pastor Tim. Hopefully by the end of this message, you aren't regretting that too much. But I wanted to I told this to the first service, and I, I feel like i 'm obliged to tell you as well, do you guys know how much Pastor Tim loves the Bible? you guys realize it and you recognize it in in his sermons and how he, he works through the Bible and, and you know what a passion he has for it well I, I knew that from a head perspective, but he put that into to practice this week much more than than I had anticipated you see, we know from scripture that uh, Jesus was probably born in in the summertime because the shepherds were out in the field. It was warm outside. They wouldn't have been, you know, out, out in the field if it was freezing cold. So our pastor, Pastor Tim, has taken this to heart. And you know where he is right now, actually? He is celebrating Christmas with his family. That is how much he cares about the Bible, as he has taken today to celebrate Christmas. With, he waited till it was 100 degrees outside said, I don't care about conventional society and Christmas on December 25th. I'm celebrating Christmas when it's warm outside. Just kidding. That, that isn't the reason why, but it is good that he is able to, to spend time with his family. We're grateful for his leadership here and, and truly his love for the word. So if you get a chance today or sometime this week, one, thank him for his love of the word and what it does for, for our church. And also tell him, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> So last week, Pastor Tim introduced a, a new series called Airplane Mode, and we're looking at, you know what happens with Airplane Mode. Our, our phone completely disconnects. It, it breaks apart from everything going on with it. It allows it to kind of reset and come back. Well, that is what we're talking about, just breaking away, getting into some seclusion, spending time with God, and then coming back better for it. Last week was uh, talking about Jesus in grief, and it, man, it was a tough message. This week is, it's not easy either. It's not not emotional, the same way grief was. But this week, we are talking about Jesus and work. And now I say work, and I know a lot of people have tomorrow off. Is anybody excited about that? Don't have to go to work? (laughs) Got, Got an amen for that? You see, that right there, Unfortunately, for whoever said amen, I'm not coming after you, I promise. I can't even see you. But you see, our our attitude towards work is actually wrong. Work is actually a good thing. Um, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to to Mark chapter 1, and I promise that we're going to get there. Um, That is going to be our main focus today, but we have to do a little bit of groundwork first to understand how God and work go together, to understand what the implication is for us today. And so to do that, we actually have to start in Genesis in the very beginning. We know that God created everything, and as he was creating, he took time, and he would pause, and he would say, I made the the plants and the land, and he said it was good. And he said, I made the, the animals and all the creatures, and it was good. And then I made people. And the people, very good. He he takes time and he designates this is good. This is good. This is good. And see, good, that standard for God means perfection. It's perfect. And what we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So at the very beginning, man's entire purpose was to work, to work in the garden to tend it, to make sure it was, it was right. And we know that at this time, everything is good. So we have to start with this premise that work is actually a good thing. Now, society, we don't necessarily think that way. In fact, even if, if we think work is a good thing, we think work is a good thing because it leads to something else, right? We either, we either work so that we can retire or not work anymore, or we, we work to provide for our families, or we work to do this, or we work to... Work is always a means to an end. What we're seeing here is that work in and of itself is good. Work should be the only thing that we, we strive for. It shouldn't be an end to something else. We should work because work is pleasing to the Lord. That's not really what we're going to talk about this morning. It's just where we're, we're setting the context Because you see, in the very next chapter, what happens? We have the fall. And people, Adam and Eve, us, if we were there, we would have done the exact same thing. We wanted this knowledge of good and evil. We wanted to be able to decide for ourselves what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. We want that, and we we try and do that today as well. We try and decide for ourselves what is good, what is bad, and we see where that has led to in society. We have things promoted as good that are truly evil, and we have things that society says is bad that are truly from God and good. You see, our, our brains, after the fall, got warped. It got twisted. It got messed up, and we can't differentiate for ourselves what is actually good and what's actually bad. Remember, good being God's definition, being perfection, and then we get into the next chapter, and we actually see the very next generation of people, Cain and Abel, they're bringing offerings to the Lord. And what happens with Cain's? Cain's was good enough for Cain, but it wasn't pleasing to the Lord. It wasn't the best, it wasn't perfect. And so when we see that in ourselves today, see, all across society, we have this picture of good enough. Because between people, with our skewed standards, good enough is good, right? We, we get on, we, we're students in school, and, and we make a 95, and we're like, man, the teacher writes on there, good job, right? That's what the teacher puts on there. And, and for our standards, that is a good thing. But you see, God requires perfection. For something to be good, truly good to God, it must be perfect. Now, we know that we can never achieve this perfection by ourselves. In fact, the the fall just demonstrates that more and more. We were never going to be able to get back to this goodness. But we're, we're told that we're supposed to do good works, and if we're trying to please God, if we're trying to to do what's right with our work, we have to understand how to do that. And so that's going to lead us to three questions today that we're going to answer, the first of which is what are good works? What are they? If good truly is the definition that God has on it, which is perfection, something that is pleasing to Him, what are things that we can do that will be good, that will be pleasing to Him? That leads us to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's two truths that we want to pull out of this verse. The first is that good works are only available after a true conversion, a real conversion. Look at the verse again. We are created in Christ Jesus. This is the new creation. Our old sinful selves are not able to do good works. It is only after we are created new in Christ Jesus that good works are available to us. See, this is really important to understand because if if we're here today, if you're watching online, if you're listening, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the rest of this message doesn't apply. We have to stop here and go ahead and deal with that. Because in our sinful state, anything that we produce is sinful. It is evil. Only once Christ has changed our hearts and saved us only once He is inside us and the Holy Spirit is guiding our actions can we actually do something that is good, that is pleasing to the Lord. And so if you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Him, it doesn't matter if what you think you're doing is, is good enough. At the end of the day, when Jesus comes back or when you die and you're standing before Him, nothing's going to be good enough except the sacrifice of His Son for your sins as the only thing that is truly good enough for salvation. I was talking with uh, some of the adults in our Thursday morning Bible study a couple weeks ago as, as we were working through Ephesians. And earlier on in this chapter, it actually describes us um, as zombies. If you, if you didn't know, zombies are actually in the Bible. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. It says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, walking according to the way of the world. But then we get to this verse. We are, we are created new. We are brought to life in Christ Jesus. And so we have this, this massive shift. And so for the first time, when we have a relationship with Christ, once he has saved us, we can do good for the first time. I like to say it like this. After salvation, for the very first time, we have the choice to do good things. You see, before, again, in our minds and according to society, we can do things that look good because they might be better than something else, but are those things actually good to God? Again, remember we have to understand that our perspective on good is skewed because our nature is sinful. We don't truly understand right from wrong. We don't truly understand good from evil because we are stuck in our sin until Jesus saves it from us. And then, so we have the, the first truth from this passage is that it takes a real conversion to be able to do good works. The second thing we get is that good works are a gift from God. We look at the end of the verse, it says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, God has gone ahead and he has planned out the works for our lives that we should walk in them. Not that we must, again, we have a choice to do good or to do bad. We have a choice to honor God Or to honor ourselves in sin. And so as we're as we're working through the rest of this, we have to understand that that good is finally an option because of what Jesus did, but it is not automatic. There are still requirements on us. We still have to choose God over ourselves. We still have to choose God over sin. And we see that Christians throughout the New Testament are, are characterized by good works. I'm just gonna we're gonna speed through just a few passages here just to give you a brief glimpse of how important it is for good works and how we see good works tied to the Christian life. Um, we'll start with first with Timothy chapter six, verses eighteen and nineteen. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, good works right there are tied to the Christian life. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That word zealous is like this internal craving that we, we want to satisfy more than anything else. And that internal craving that we should have as Christians are to do good works, truly good works. We see again in Titus chapter 3, verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. You see, good works in the Christian life go hand in hand. They have to be there, which again ties back to it requires a real conversion to be able to do good works, and it means following God and understanding the gift of good works that he's given to us. So that first question, what are good works? We see that there are things that are given to us after salvation, but why are they important? Why are good works important? Well, the first thing we see is that just like it takes a real conversion, good works are an evidence of our faith. If, if you are doubting sometimes, if, if you have faith, then you can look at your life. Are you doing things? Are you choosing to honor God more than anything else? We see in the famous verse in James chapter 2, verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, we can confuse ourselves. We can trick ourselves into thinking that we're better than society. We're better than, than the bad things of the world. Therefore, we have to be good. And if we're good, then we have to be pleasing to God. But our faith isn't pleasing to God unless we are doing truly good things according to his standard. Think about this for a second. We work off this scale of, of better than things to To determine what we think is, is good. And we think that because our lives are better than, you know, murderers' lives that they have to be good. But think about this. If a person commits one murder, we consider that bad, right? But will we consider a person who commits one murder better than a person who commits a thousand murders, right? This, they have to be better, right, because... They're, they're, they're not as bad as down here with the person who committed a 1,000 murders. This person only did one. But does that make them good? No. Again, if our standard of good is God, there's nothing that can, can span that gap except for Jesus' blood in our lives. See, when God looks at us, he doesn't judge if we're better than other people. We don't get into heaven if we're better than 50% of all the people that ever lived. He doesn't just take the, the top 50 He takes the ones that are are saved by Jesus, who are covered in his blood. So when he looks on our lives, he doesn't see the sin that we do. He doesn't see the rebellion we have. He sees the blood of Jesus. And we know that Jesus is good. And so when he looks on us for the first time, he says, you are good. You can come into my presence. So the first reason why good works are so important, and they are an evidence of our faith they point to God. They say, my life has truly been changed by Jesus. Look what I am doing now. I am working to honor and glorify him above all else. Because outside of Jesus, what do we work for? We always work for ourselves. We always work to promote ourselves. We always work to make our lives better. Even if we're working for our family, it's for, it's for ourselves. It's always inward focused, whereas truly good works are always God focused. They're always on him. They're always promoting him as greater than ourselves. The second reason, and we touched on it just briefly, the reason good works are so important is because they are our testimony. They truly point to the fact that we were once dead in sin, that we did not have the option to do good. But because of Christ, look what we can do now. Look what is available for us for the first time is to do good, truly good. I have a couple of quotes here from Charles Spurgeon. Um, He actually has a a much better message than the one I prepared that that I went to as I was was studying for this, and some of these things really stood out. He said, all Christians are made to be preachers. We know this is true in the fact of the Great Commission, that we are to, to live our lives. We are to go out into all the nations baptizing people, meaning that we've shared the gospel, they've been saved, teaching them all that Jesus has commanded, and that Jesus will be with us helping us do that. Every single Christian is meant to be a preacher. However, we do not always preach with our mouths, but also with our lives. Now, this is not an excuse to not verbally share the gospel. You could take that quote and run with it and say, well, my life will point to God, but as long as my I don't have to actually have that conversation. No, that is not the case. The case is when we have that conversation, when we share the gospel with people, they look at our lives and they understand that it is true, because why in the world would we be living this way if it wasn't? These good works point to Christ above ourselves. These good works don't make sense to the world because the world is consumed with themselves, not with God. You see, preaching does not always equal practicing. We can stand up here, I can stand up here, and I can tell you this truth, and then I can leave and not do a single good work, not care about God, not do anything. In fact, a lot of people in our churches do that. They come and we sing the songs that we sing about the wonders and majesties of God and what he has done, and then we leave and we live our lives that don't reflect that at all. However, if you flip that around, practicing doing good works always equals preaching. Every single time, if you are doing, if your life is a reflection of what God has done in your life, people can't help but notice who God is. And then this last one, this is, this is tough. He says, if a preacher's sermon contradicted itself as many times as our lives contradict what we say, we would not sit under that preaching. Again, we tell people the gospel. We tell people that, that Jesus is the only way for salvation. We tell people that God is the best thing ever. It is that it will absolutely change their lives. And then they start watching us and they notice how we interact. They notice how, you know, we, we talk to people, how we care for our families. They notice how we drive in our cars. They notice these things, and if it doesn't line up, that's how we get the, the stigma of the church people today. It's like, I, I would go to church, but I don't want to be around church people. Well, why is that? It's because our words and our actions don't line up. We make ourselves hypocrites, And the people can see that. They can see that what we're saying has a ring of truth to it. And then they look at our lives and our lives don't support that truth. And it completely undermines our testimony. This is why good works are so important. This is why when we are viewing our lives and we're thinking about the things that we do, we have to use God's standard of good and not ours. Remember, we're skewed. The fall has messed everything up for us. But that leads us to the last question. We, we've just discussed what the good works are. We know that they come from God. We know that they only come after a real conversion. We know now why they are important. It's an evidence for our salvation. It's a comfort to us that we see the good works that God has prepared for us, but also it is a testimony. It backs up the words that we say when we're sharing the gospel with people. This is this is real. Jesus is real. He lives inside of me. Let me show him to you. But that brings us to the question of how do we do good works? I've heard you saying up here this whole time good works, good works, good works. You're probably going to hear it in your sleep tonight. I've said it so much. How do we do it? How does my life reflect this truth that I know is true from the word of God? How do I apply this? How do I make sure it is real for me? How do I make sure that when I leave today that I'm not a hypocrite, that my testimony is backed up by my life? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter one, verse 29. You see, Jesus gives us the example here. And just like Jesus was the only person who was truly good, if we want our lives to reflect goodness, we need to follow his steps. Verse 29 says, actually, I did this in the first service too. I should have changed my notes. I got to give you a little context first. The beginning of this chapter, Jesus is beginning his ministry and he goes into the synagogue and he starts teaching and the people there are amazed by what he is teaching. They've never heard teaching like this. He is, he is connecting the prophecies and the stories in the Old Testament, pointing to the Messiah and explaining things that have never been explained before, and their minds are being blown. They're already excited about what he's doing. And then a man walks in who's possessed by a demon, and he starts talking to Christ, and Christ cast the demon out of him, and the man's healed. And now, put yourselves in that picture, You come to church one morning, a guy you've never heard before comes up and explains the Bible in ways that only somebody who wrote it would understand, and then casts a demon out of somebody. Do you think you would tell people about that? Do you think you'd be excited and and call your mom and be like, hey, mama, you need to get to church. You need need to get down to the synagogue. crazy stuff is happening. You need to be here. I think God is moving, right? We We would be excited. We would be telling people. Well, they were just like us. They went and told people, so that brings us to, to verse 29. And immediately he, being Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So he's got, he's got some of his people there. He's got some of his disciples with him. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Now that makes sense, right? They just saw Jesus talking like, again, only a person could if they wrote the Bible, explaining things like that. They saw him cast out a demon. Then they get to the house and like, oh yeah, Simon's mother-in-law has been sick for a while. I bet Jesus could do something about this. I mean, he just cast out a demon. So he walks upstairs. He came up and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. So now we've already got two, two miracles happening right here. Jesus is working. He's already been teaching. Word is getting around the city of Capernaum now. Word is spreading. And look what happens. That evening at sundown, They brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered at the door. I mean, again, put ourselves in that picture. Wouldn't you bring people to Jesus? If this person was healing and doing things, wouldn't you be part of that crowd? You were saying, hey, I want to be where this is happening. I want to see what's going on. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And a side note, this is for free. If the demons recognize that Jesus was the son of God, I mean, shouldn't we? <laughs> I mean, they were sitting there. If they're if they like, hey, and they're speaking out loud now. Like, hey, you're, you're the son of God. Please don't destroy me right now with the word. Well, when we come before God, let us come before him recognizing who he is. So the whole city has come out. And they, they came out at sundown. It was already late. And Jesus stays up, and he is healing people. He's casting out demons. He is, he is preaching. He is with the people. But again, it's getting late. We can go ahead and assume, listen, this is, this is not in the Bible. I could be completely wrong here, but let's just say it's about 2, 3 in the morning. Again, the whole city came to see him, and he stayed up, and it says he healed many. He cast out many demons. So it is, it is late before he gets to go to bed. Look what happens next. Verse 35. In rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So even though Jesus was up super late, had every excuse in the world to sleep in, to, to do, I mean, he worked hard. He had to be exhausted. Just talking to that many people would exhaust me. I wouldn't want to do anything for a week after talking to a whole city full of people let alone wake up before the sun came up which again let's assume he stayed up till 2 or 3 with all the people he's he's only getting an hour or two of sleep here but he takes time and he goes out and look he goes to a desolate place a desert place a place with no distractions again airplane mode the important part is when you put your phone on airplane mode it cuts off every single thing that can communicate with it. Jesus did that here. He goes off. He is away from the whole city. He's away from his disciples. He's away from everybody except God, because look what he does in the desolate place. He prayed. He goes, he distances himself from everything, and he prays. Well, then you have the disciples who wake up, and they're looking for Jesus, and They've got to be a little bit shocked because he's not where he was. And they're like, hey, he stayed up super late. He should be sleeping in. He needs his rest. Well, then you also have to think, there's probably still a whole city that came back the next morning and was knocking at the door and said, hey, we need some more of this healing you got going on. And the disciples were like, I don't know where he is. Let's, uh, let's see if we can go find him. So they, they are frantic. They go and they search around. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, hey, everyone is looking for you, and I mean everyone. The whole city came out again. They are all looking for you, so we should probably get back and start the healing again and do what we need to do so that we can get through today. Well, look what Jesus says, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Jesus is here, and he's healing people, and he's teaching in the synagogue, and that's a good thing, right? Like a truly good thing. He is, he is doing the work of God, right? I mean, he is God. He's doing that. And then he takes time, and he goes, and he prays, and he comes back, and we, we would think he would continue doing the good thing, right? I mean, his, he's already getting fame. People already know him. People are coming back. Would it be good, truly good, for him to stay and heal people, to stay and cast out demons? We have to know the answer is no. It seems good to us, right? But what does he do? He prayed, he went and talked to the Father, and he comes back and tells the disciples, hey, we're going to the next town. And you know, they gotta be like, why? People are following us, you're ministering to these people, they're listening to you, this is good. Well, what does Jesus say? That I might preach there also, for this is why I came. He went out, he spent time alone with the Lord, and he came back on his mission. He came back to do the work that he was called to do. There's a lot of truth that we can pull out of this for ourselves. The first thing, again, with airplane mode, our phones are, are connected to everything, just like we are connected to all sorts of things. Our phone, right now, your phone, it might be on the Wi-Fi, it might be on a cellular thing. Either way, it's being shot up to a satellite out in space. That satellite is communicating with other things as it's flying around. It's also connected to a whole bunch of other phones. And then your phone's also connected to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those fun things. With millions and millions and millions of people on there. And all of these things have have input on what you see, what you hear, what you think is right, what you think is wrong. And we get we get skewed even farther by that. Again, we have to go back to the very beginning. Our perception of right and wrong, of good and evil, is already messed up. We get some help from the Word of God, we get some help from the other Christians in our lives, but we still have all of these outside influences telling us what to do, what we're supposed to do, what would be good for us, what would be good for the people around us. But who is the only person who can truly tell us what is good? It's God himself. It's the Father. And Jesus gives us the example here of what to do. We have, we have to, absolutely have to, Break away from all of the noise, all of the distractions, all of the outside voices, all of the things telling us what to do. We have to silence those. We have to put ourselves in a desolate place, in a place where distractions can't get to us, which probably means putting your phone on airplane mode and then throwing it into another room and locking the door and then probably putting another door in that place to make sure we can't get back to that phone because you know how we're connected to it. But then, when we go into solitude, when we go into airplane mode, we don't do it alone, because we're not looking for our own voice to guide us. Because again, we will tell ourselves the wrong thing. We will tell ourselves, hey, look, I'm I'm doing good here. These people are listening to me. Look, a whole crowd came out to hear me, and, and I'm doing good things here. We have to listen to the voice of God and what He's telling us to do. You see, Jesus went and he prayed. He communicated with the Father. And this is one of the wonderful truths of having a relationship with Christ. Once he saves us, we have instant access to the throne room of God to communicate with him. It's something that we do not utilize enough. We can pray and walk into the throne room of the almighty God and say, God, what would you have me do? I want to do good works, I want to serve you, what would you have me do? Maybe we're praying that. Maybe you have prayed that prayer. Maybe you're looking for for wisdom or discernment or guidance on on what your next step should be, and you've prayed that prayer. But then how many of us, myself included, just want that that loud, booming voice over Sinai to come and tell us what to do, right? Right? We're Like, hey, all right, God, I asked you, and if you don't tell me in the next five minutes, like, I guess I'm just going to have to do my own thing. I, it's true, isn't it? But what do we think this is, church? We call it the Bible, but what is it truly? It is the Word of God, the living, breathing Word of God. This has to accompany us in our prayer time. When we're going before the Lord and we're crying out to him saying, God, please help me. Please guide me. Please, I need to hear your voice. It's sitting right here in front of us. Maybe it's collecting dust on our shelves. Church, we have the word of God and it has to be with us during our prayers. We have to be praying through it. We have to be reading it as we're praying. This is how God communicates with us. This is how God tells us how to live our lives with good works. It is doing what he says in scripture through his very words. Again, when Jesus went to the synagogue, he explained things just like the guy who wrote it. Well, guess what? We have the exact same truths given to us. It is his word. It is Jesus himself, the word of God, given to us. Let us use it. Let us be aware of what this truly is. Next time as we're, as we're waiting to hear the, the voice of Sinai, let us be reading through the voice that's already here. Also, we see in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down upon the disciples is a helper who came to, to lead and to guide. We have that same Holy Spirit inside of us. But how often do we ignore it when we, we don't want to? It's How often do we feel an urge and says, the Holy Spirit tells us to go and talk to somebody tells us to give a certain amount, tells us to do something, and we're just like, I don't know if that would be good for me. I don't know if that would be good for my family. I don't know if that's the right thing to do right now. Again, we have to understand that what we think is good may just be better than bad, but it's not truly good. We have to understand that the Holy Spirit, God Himself, is here to guide us, and we have to listen to Him. And when He says to do something, we do it. If He says to us, just like here, My job is to go into the next town and preach, not to stay here. That can apply to all sorts of different things, but we have to be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to know what that voice sounds like. We have to spend time with him, understand who he is. You see, when we take time apart, when we seclude ourselves, when we send time by ourselves with the Lord, what it allows us to do is reprioritize and refocus on what is actually necessary in our lives. We have all of these things clamoring for our attention. We have all of these things telling us we should be busy doing X, Y, and Z, but what we truly need to listen to is the voice of the Lord. This is what airplane mode allows us to do. One last thing we have to realize, though, is that our jobs are not our work. Our jobs are are something we do, but it's not the work that we've been called to. As Christians, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. That means we can be in the workforce, but not not of it. That should not be our all-consuming passion as whatever job that we have. Just like we think of works as potentially a means to an end, we should actually think of our job as a means to actually do the work that God has called us to, which is preaching the gospel, which is sharing Jesus Christ, the only Lord and Savior, with everybody we come in contact with and having our lives back that up as well. I want to read one last verse and and look at it through this lens of what is truly good, what true good works look like. It's Colossians 3 verses 23 and 24. Paul's writing here and he says, whatever you do. I want you to think about that for a second. Literally, whatever you do. Whether you're driving down the road, whether you're at your job, whether you're making dinner, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We can, we can rephrase that a little bit. Work to the Lord's standards, not mine, not my boss's, not somebody else's. Is the Lord's standards the only one that matters? So work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. He is our master. He is the one we're serving. When we're doing these things, it is his name that we're making known. We're pushing ourselves down. We're pushing ourselves aside and proclaiming Jesus louder than anything else. When people see the works that our lives produce, the only thing that they should be able to come away with is Jesus Christ is Lord, and this is somebody who is serving him. Honestly, think about that for a second. Whatever you do, what if we took the time and we prayed to God and we said, God, as I'm driving right now, in some miraculous way, I want to serve you through my driving. Let the gospel be known through the way I drive so that somebody will come to know you. Let the way I interact with society in my car on this road point to you above all else that your gospel would be known. As we go into work each morning, God, as I work today, let my work be a product not of trying to make myself look good, not of trying to make my boss approve of me, but of trying to gain your approval, God, of trying to make sure that my work is a reflection of the gospel that saved me that I was dead, but now I'm alive and I can't do anything else but celebrate that and worship you through what I do. As we spend time with our families, let it not be, you know, let's just, let's make sure everything is, is clean and tidy and that the kids get to bed on time and that the dinner tastes good. It's no, let us spend time intentionally working with one another so that our lives point to Jesus, that the way our family talks to each other, the way our family interacts with each other, the way that we do things, people will look at us and say, God is good and thank you for Jesus Christ. That is what we're called to do. Whatever we do, is we are proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, not only through our words, but through our actions. There are two categories of people in the room right now. There are those in here that cannot do good works, and the only way you can is by turning your life over to Jesus Christ, by crying out to him saying, God, I am a sinner. I am dead in my trespasses and sin. There is nothing that I can ever do that will be good enough to get myself into heaven, but God, thank you for your son. Thank you for sending him to die on my behalf. So that when you look on me, you don't see me anymore. You see your son and you say, ah, this, this is good. Come into my presence. If that's you this morning, please don't leave without surrendering your life to Christ. Understand that there is no thing you can do to be good enough because we aren't good. The other category of people in this room are people who do have a relationship with Christ who are called to do good works. There are some that are probably doing better than others, but we have to remember that better than somebody else doesn't mean anything. Our standard is the Lord. The altar is open this morning. If you are in either category, come forward. Don't let the distractions pull you aside, spend time with your Heavenly Father, either crying out to Him for salvation because He's the only one who can provide it, or crying out to Him to help you change the way that you view good works, the way that you view your life. Let God radically change us all today so that as we leave here, Warner Robins, Georgia, the United States, and the world sees us but doesn't actually see us. They see Jesus Christ instead of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for who you are, that you are good. God, we understand that that our brains got messed up in the fall, that that when we tried to, to determine for ourselves what was right and wrong, that we messed it up for everybody. God, we have sin in our lives that we can't wash clean, but because of your son, Jesus, coming and dying on the cross on our behalf. God, you can look on us and say you are good. You can look on us and welcome us into your presence. But God, you didn't stop there. You have gifts for us on the other side. Not only are we made new in Christ, not only for the first time can we do good things, can we do things that are pleasing to you, God. You actually have works for us already planned out. You have things that you have designed for our lives that are pleasing to you, that bring glory to you, that shout your name above all other names. God, help us today focus on those good works. Let us put ourselves in airplane mode. Just just remove every single distraction, every single other voice that comes in our life, and focus only on you. God, we cry out to you. We want to hear your voice in our lives. God, let us not be hypocrites. Let our lives and our words match. Let them walk side by side so that you are glorified and your name is made great. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.